Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 3rd edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. Happy New Year! I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skern, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Purdue Pharma has been accused of quid pro quo payments to a major pharmacy benefit management companies to increase sales of its highly addictive OxyContin opioid. Purdue already paid $20 million in a settlement with 27 states' attorneys general across the country just 10 years ago. And now unsealed court documents indicate that the drug manufacturer went to great lengths to stop pre-authorization of OxyContin in West Virginia despite concerns from public health officials. The warning signs of what would become a deadly opioid epidemic emerged in early 2001. That's when officials of the State Employee Health Plan in West Virginia noticed a surge in deaths attributed to oxycodone, the active ingredient in the painkiller OxyContin. They quickly decided to require prior authorization to ensure that only people who genuinely needed the painkiller could get it and that people abusing opioids could not. But Purdue allegedly thwarted the state's plans by paying a middleman, known as a pharmacy benefits manager, to prevent insurers from limiting prescriptions of the drug. The financial quid pro quo between the painkiller maker and the pharmacy benefits manager, Merck Medco, came to light in West Virginia court records unsealed by a state judge and interviews with people familiar with the arrangement. The strategy to pay Merck Medco extended to other big pharmacy benefit managers and to many other states, and Merck Medco was purchased by Express Scripts in 2012. According to a former Purdue official, the payments were in the form of rebates paid by Purdue to the companies. In return, the pharmacy benefit managers agreed to make the drug available without prior authorization and with low copayments. In addition, the rebates were used to guarantee favorable status for OxyContin on pharmacy benefit managers' listings of approved drugs. These are called formularies. Some tiers are more restrictive and require higher copayments. Purdue wanted OxyContin placed in the least restrictive tier and succeeded. It's common for drug companies to pay rebates to gain preferential treatment from companies hired by insurance plans to manage prescription drug benefits. But in this case, the arrangement removed a key safeguard in the system that may have slowed the growth of OxyContin as it became a national bestseller that eventually peaked at annual sales of $3 billion. The federal court case filed last month by 38 former National Football Player League players seeking to force the NFL to recognize chronic traumatic encephalopathy as a covered disease under workers' compensation has been abruptly withdrawn. The U.S. District Court Judge Beth Bloom therefore dismissed the suit without prejudice. The plaintiff's lawyers explained that the players have decided to proceed with filing individual state claims. Earlier on December 5, Judge Bloom had stayed the case pending a decision on whether it should be transferred to the federal court in Pennsylvania that is handling multi-district litigation involving concessions and the NFL. 
The Pennsylvania court previously oversaw a consolidation of concussion lawsuits against the NFL and reached a settlement valued as as much as $1 billion in potential benefits for more than 22,000 former players. Earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court let that concussion settlement stand, deciding against hearing complaints by some former players that the settlement was inadequate. According to defense lawyers, the workers' compensation case brought in federal court did not have a great chance of succeeding. The first real hurdle was that it is questionable as to whether a federal court is even the proper forum to determine a state's workers' compensation issue. The other hurdle was the player's collective bargaining agreement under which chronic traumatic encephalopathy is not recognized. A drug distributor owned by Cardinal Health has agreed to pay $10 million to resolve claims that it failed to alert the DEA about suspiciously large orders of addictive painkillers by New York area pharmacies. The settlement with Kinray LLC, a New York City-based pharmaceutical distributor, comes amid efforts by U.S. authorities to combat the nation's opioid drug epidemic. The Kinray settlement came after a DEA investigation of pharmacies that had ordered unusually large and frequent shipments of oxycodone or hydrocodone. Kinray shipped the drugs to more than 20 New York pharmacy locations in amounts that were many times greater than the distributor's average sale of controlled substances to all of its customers. The lawsuit claims Kinray ignored numerous red flags and did not report any suspicious orders to the DEA, despite requirements that it do so for such highly regulated drugs. Cardinal Health, which announced its $1.3 billion acquisition of Kinray in 2010, said it continues to work with the U.S. Justice Department to resolve the matter. As part of the settlement, court documents show Kinray admitted and accepted responsibility for failing to report suspicious orders to the DEA. The case is U.S. versus Kinray LLC in the U.S. District Court, Southern District of New York. And now our crime report. Allstate Insurance went before a jury to put an end to the illegal ownership, kickbacks, and fraudulent operation of multiple law offices in the Los Angeles area. These law offices were owned operated and controlled by unlicensed people posing as lawyers. The verdict in Los Angeles County Superior Court resulted in a judgment worth more than $11.5 million in favor of Allstate. Allstate alleged Christina Chang, Christine Su, and other unlicensed persons knowingly engaged in a fraud scheme in which they used the identity of practicing lawyers to create eight phony law offices. They made false, fraudulent, or misleading claims against insurance companies so that settlement payments could be converted to their own use. Evidence presented at trial showed that several California lawyers were paid $3,000 per month for the use of their names and law licenses. None of the licensed lawyers had significant direction or control over the operation of the fake law offices or the making and processing of claims. Chang and Sue rented office space, hired staff, opened firm bank accounts, 
obtained clients, made demands to insurance companies for settlement, and negotiated the settlements. All in the name of licensed California attorneys, falsely making it appear as if a lawyer represented the client and claimant. The evidence also showed Chang and Sue used remote check cashing facilities, including liquor stores and small local markets, to convert the settlement proceeds into untraceable cash. Allstate Senior Vice President remarked that this was one of the most elaborate fraud setups he has seen and vowed to continue fighting fraud wherever it lives. A federal grand jury returned an 11-count indictment against 66-year-old Anthony Lazzarino, M.D., who was the former chief of podiatry for the VA's Northern California health care system, and 58-year-old Peter Wong, founder and CEO of Sacramento-based Sunrise Shoes and Pedorthic Service. The two were charged with health care fraud, conspiracy to pay and receive kickbacks on medical referrals, and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Dr. Lazzarino was a 1982 graduate of Kent State University College of Podiatric Medicine. He began working at the Veterans Health Administration in 2007, but now California records show his license status as canceled. Sunrise Shoes claims on its website to provide services under most insurance plans, including workers' compensation, and specifically the State Compensation Insurance Fund. According to court documents, Dr. Lazzarino and Wong engaged in a scheme to defraud the VA by billing for custom work and services that were prescribed but not supplied in shoes delivered to veterans. In addition, Lazzarino referred patients directly to Sunrise in violation of a VA policy and agreed with Wong to offer kickbacks in return for such referrals. Finally, Lazzarino, Wong, and Jai Ang Chen, who separately pleaded guilty on December 6, agreed to make materially false statements and omissions to the VA regarding where the shoes were manufactured in the course of applying for an estimated $59 million contract. If convicted, Dr. Lazzarino and Wong face a maximum statutory penalty of 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine for each health care fraud count and five years in prison and a $250,000 fine for each of the two conspiracy counts. Forest Park Medical Center in Texas was touted as a luxury hospital with a spa-like atmosphere, which did not accept lower-paying Medicare, Medicaid, or in-network managed care insurance rates. It rapidly attracted the attention of physician investors and their referrals. The patients were primarily ones with high reimbursing out-of-network private insurance benefits or benefits under certain federally funded programs. The organization was free to set its own prices for services and was generally reimbursed at substantially higher rates than in-network providers. But rather than leave any money on the table, the company also attempted to sell patients with lower reimbursing insurance coverage, namely unwitting Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries, to other facilities in exchange for cash. Yet workers' compensation patients were included in the clientele accepted by this luxury facility. 
The hospital accepted the referral of patients with high reimbursing out-of-network private insurance benefits and benefits under certain federally funded programs, such as the Federal Workers' Compensation Program. Included in the 21 professionals indicted this December were 56-year-old Iris Kathleen Forrest of Dallas, who was a workers' compensation preauthorization specialist. She allegedly received about $450,000 in bribe and kickback payments in exchange for referring workers' compensation patients, including those she was preauthorizing, to this hospital or to surgeons who perform medical procedures at this hospital. And 44-year-old Royce Von Bicklin of San Antonio, Texas, was a workers' compensation lawyer who received about $100,000 in bribe and kickback payments in exchange for referring his clients to the hospital or to surgeons who performed medical procedures. The bribes and kickbacks included more than $10 million to TRICARE, more than $25 million to the Department of Labor Federal Employees Compensation Act health care program, and more than $60 million to the Federal Employees and Retirees Health Care Program. As a result of the bribes, kickbacks, and other inducements, the company allegedly billed such patient insurance plans and programs well over half a billion dollars. But what is interesting in this very ugly fraud case is the inclusion of federal workers' compensation claimants among those who were to be treated at a luxury hospital that bills at substantially higher rates than in-network providers. The question to be answered for taxpayers is, how did this happen in the first place? International drug makers have been using flawed or fraudulent clinical generic drug trials to support approval of some generic drugs by regulatory agencies. Last year, the European Medicines Agency banned about 700 medicines across Europe after an investigation revealed data tampering in some trials of generic drugs in India. The questionable trials were conducted by contract research organizations, also known as CROs in India, on behalf of major international drug makers located in other countries around the world. International medical experts said that research volunteers undergoing back-to-back clinical trials can compromise clinical data gathered through these trials. A lead inspector at the World Health Organization said that the time gap between participation in two different clinical trials should be a minimum of 90 days. Yet, some of the volunteers in India who participated in drug studies for international drug makers who use Indian CROs say they are addicted to the money and find ways to violate the, violate the rules so they do not have to wait the required 90 days between participating in clinical drug trials. Half of more than a dozen volunteers interviewed by Reuters in India said they waited much less than the 90 days between trials. In the past three to four years, they said they spent several months at a time in different cities so that they could participate in as many studies as possible. In addition to the questionable status of volunteers, several CROs have been accused of outright data tampering. <laughs> 
For example, according to inspection reports from the World Health Organization and the UK's Medicines Authority, CRO Quest Life Sciences was found last year to have manipulated clinical data on certain trials. Several large international drug makers, including Teva Pharmaceuticals Industries Limited and Myland, rely on CROs in India to carry out tests on cheaper versions of branded drugs. The aims of these so-called bioequivalent studies is to gauge whether non-branded drugs are equally safe and effective. The faster the trials are undertaken, the faster the drugs can come to market. But in the wake of trial data manipulation scandals at CROs in the past three years, many large drug makers, including Swiss firm Novartis, have been shifting more critical trials back to the United States and Europe. And in regulatory news, a new CWCI study takes a detailed look at cumulative trauma claims in the California workers' compensation system. And the study finds a strong association between attorney involvement and regional variation in the Los Angeles Basin and the high cost of CT claims. Cumulative traumas are physical or mental injuries that arise over time from repetitive stress, motion, or exposures rather than from a specific event or accident. Earlier this year, the WCIRB reported that CT claims as a percentage of California workers' compensation lost time cases had more than doubled over the past decade. So the CWCI initiated a study to gain a better understanding of where these claims come from, to identify characteristics and factors contributing to the rapid growth in CT claims, and to compare average medical and indemnity benefits for CT and non-CT claims. Using data from its database of 41,000 CT claims and 608,000 non-CT claims, the Institute compared the claim characteristics of CT claims to those of non-CT claims, and the study found that CT cases were far more likely to have come from the Los Angeles Basin were most prevalent in the manufacturing sector, had a higher proportion of claims involving multiple body parts and mental disorders, had twice the attorney involvement rate of non-CT claims, and 53% higher average claim costs. And workers claiming CT injuries were 10 times more likely to have claimed other injuries against the same employer. Overall, nearly 56% of all CT claims in the study population were filed in the Los Angeles County, Inland Empire, Orange County region, compared to 36.5% of non-CT claims. This result confirms a strong association between the higher costs of CT claims in the study sample and the high levels of attorney involvement and the regional variation in the L.A. Basin. CWCI's analysis is available from the Institute's online store and can be downloaded by, downloaded by CWCI members and subscribers who log into the research section of their website. And in medical news, the Food and Drug Administration approved MACI, a cultured collagen membrane for the repair of symptomatic full-thickness cartilage defects of the knee. Mackey is the first FDA-approved product that applies the process of tissue engineering 
to grow cells on scaffolds using healthy cartilage tissue from the patient's own knee. The knee problems are common and occur in people of all ages. Cartilage defects in the knee can result from an injury, straining the knee beyond its normal motion, or can be caused by overuse, muscle weakness, and general wear and tear. Different cartilage defects require different treatments, so therapy must be tailored to the patient. So the introduction of Mackie provides surgeons with an additional option for treatment. Mackie is composed of a patient's own cells that are expanded and placed onto a bioreabsorbable porcine-derived collagen membrane that is implanted over the area where the tissue was removed. Administration should be performed by a surgeon specifically trained in the use of Mackie. Each Mackie implant consists of a small cellular sheet containing 500,000 to a million cells that are per square meter, excuse me, per square centimeter. The amount of Mackie administered depends on the size of the cartilage defect and is trimmed to ensure that the damaged area is completely covered. Multiple implants may be used if there is more than one defect. During a mini open technique, cartilage tissue is debrided from the defect area and the Mackie implant is cut and shaped to fit and adhere it in place using an off-the-shelf sealant. The safety and efficacy of Mackie were shown in a two-year clinical trial designed to demonstrate reduced pain and improved function in comparison to microfracture, an alternative surgical procedure for cartilage repair. Overall, efficacy data support long-term clinical benefit from the use of Mackie implant in patients with cartilage defects. Another new study published in the American Journal of Epidemiology says that regular use of pain relievers over many years may increase the risk of hearing loss. Researchers analyzed long-term data on almost 56,000 women and found using NSAIDs like Aleve and Motrin, as well as Tylenol, for six years or more was tied to a greater risk of hearing problems than taking these drugs for a year or less. Risks of painkillers in the study go beyond hearing loss, and patients should do do their best to avoid long-term use. And the use of long-term NSAID medications by industrially injured workers can potentially lead to additional compensable consequence injuries. Even though these medications are sold without requiring a prescription, they do have potential side effects. In addition to a higher risk of hearing loss, they have also been shown to be associated with a risk of hypertension and other important medical conditions. But they're generally safe when taken in usual doses for short periods of time. Previous research has found a similar link between painkillers and hearing loss in men, though studies to date have yet to explain how drugs might impact hearing. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device. 
by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skirin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.